Cast. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. Erica Keswin is a best-selling author, internationally sought-after speaker, and founder of The Spaghetti Project, a roving ritual devoted to sharing the science and stories of relationships at work. She helps top-of-the-class businesses, organizations, and individuals improve their performance by honoring relationships in every context, always with an eye toward high-tech for human touch, and was named one of Marshall Goldsmith's top 100 coaches in 2020, as well as one of Business Insider's most innovative coaches of 2020. She is the author of two best-selling books, Bring Your Human to Work, 10 Surefire Ways to Design a Workplace That's Good for People, Great for Business, and Just Might Change the World, and Rituals Roadmap, The Human Way to Transform Everyday Routines into Workplace Magic. And we're going to be talking primarily about Rituals Roadmap in this show, so go ahead and join me in welcoming Erica Keswin to the Responsible Leadership Podcast. All right, Erica, welcome to the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to have this conversation. We're going to talk about something that, uh, as a Marine, is kind of near and dear to my heart, and that is, uh, I'll just I'll just leave it kind of open-ended there, I'll just say rituals. Um, but before we get into the rituals discussion, uh, I want to start you off where I start off all of my guests. Uh, when you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? Wow. I mean, it, it could mean so many things. So I'm going to go with one of those. Uh, the first thing that came to my mind, which is, you know, it, it's it's really creating a workplace um, that honors relationships and a culture that honors relationships um, from a leadership perspective. And, you know, when I wrote my first book, Bring Your Human to Work, people would, would often say, well, what does that mean? 
And that's what I was able to boil it down to was that it's honoring relationships, whether that means with your colleagues, with your boss, with your direct reports, with your clients and your customers, but also making sure that you honor that important relationship with yourself, which I think, you know, as leaders, we need to make sure we put that oxygen mask on ourselves before we can begin to take care of everybody else. So that that's what I think about when I think of responsible leadership. Yeah, no, I love it. That is a, a great breakdown. And again, I love that uh, that oxygen mask analogy because, you know, and I think that is one of the things that, that as leaders, we do tend to forget from time to time is taking care of ourselves is a key component to taking care of those who choose to follow us, right? 100%, 100%. And especially in the light of what has gone on over the last 18 months with the pandemic, you know, mental health is a huge, it's always been an issue, but we are seeing unprecedented levels of stress, mental health issues. And one of the things that I've been finding from a leadership perspective is that if we as leaders don't walk the walk, you know, no one, the people that work for you aren't going to take care of themselves. They've got to see you doing it. And being very vocal, and that's it's why it goes hand in hand with this idea of, of bringing your human to work. You know, one of the things that I talk about a lot, and and I've seen have huge impact in organizations is the more that a leader can can be not only empathetic but be vulnerable about how about some of his or her own challenges and how they've dealt with certain things. It is only then that other people will will begin to, you know, really open up about what's going on with them, so that as leaders you can actually try to help them. Yeah, no, and I love it, and I love that you mentioned the the pandemic there, right? Because I think that was, uh, that was a great place to kind of start with the preface of the book, because, you know, that that really slammed the brake on a lot of a lot of people's rituals in some cases overnight and, and you you really got to kind of see the the societal and the psychological impact that not being able to practice those rituals had on a lot of folks real quickly right yeah yes I mean I mean rituals are are they're just so powerful in in so many ways and and it, it does i mean and that's how you bring them you know when i talk to leaders about their rituals both their personal rituals and their work rituals one of the questions that i would ask them is you know what do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you cuz sometimes people weren't sure if they even had rituals um, and the same from a workplace perspective you know when when do you feel most connected um, to the people with whom you work. And that's that. those are the beginning conversations when you might say to yourself, oh yeah, that's our ritual. You know, when we all come together for that monthly lunch or that annual celebration or this one particular thing we do when we onboard people. Um, you know, it's, it's very personal to the leader and to the organization. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and, you know, listeners, you probably figured out by now that when we talk about rituals, you know, we're not talking about drawing circles on the ground, although that may be a ritual that you're into, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, we're, we're talking about those things that, that connect us. And uh, I love how you break this down. Um, it, like, you know, listeners, you know the drill by now. We're not going to go through every single one of these chapters because I want you to go out and buy a copy of this book because it is it is that fantastic. And, uh, you know, it's it's a very 
again, coming from my background in the Marines, we're a very ritual-based organization. Like everything we do has some kind of meaning to connect us to one another and connect to us, the current us, to the past us, right? So we, we have a saying that says, uh, old breed, new breed, it's all the same breed. Um, and so this, this book really spoke to me. And Owen, I have a lot of veteran listeners. I know it's going to speak to you and you need to go grab a copy of the book. But what I love is, is you break it down and you start out in chapter one is all aboard rituals for recruiting, hiring, and onboarding. And again, the Marines, when it, especially when it comes to that piece, like we've got all sorts of rituals uh, and, and, and sayings and things like that. But why is this important to an organization? And, and for most organizations, what does that look like? So it's going to look different for every organization. But, um, you know, when I think about onboarding, you know, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Um, and that's really important, especially as we're thinking about virtual onboarding, which makes it that much more difficult. Now, when I think about onboarding, I think about beginnings in general. And, and one of the things I say in the book is that, you know, beginnings and endings are what I call prime rituals real estate, you know, big opportunities for rituals. Um, and so, you know, what happens for an employee on the first day? You know, what happens? Some, some companies are talking about rituals even before somebody's first day, you know, the day that they get the offer and assigning them a buddy. Um, and so I think that the importance of, of, starting as you mean to go on. I mean, this is the, when you talk about your culture, this is the first time people are really going to get a sense of what this culture, you know, what it, what it looks like and what it feels like. So it, again, it's going to be different for everyone. What I would say is um, you, when you ask that question to a company, you know, when do you feel most fill in the blank ish? When do you feel most LinkedIn ish, Chipotle ish, kind bar ish, um, you know, or, or in the military, as you were saying, when do you feel most part of, of, of your team, um, you know, depending on, on your background and talk about it through the context of, of onboarding, you begin to get some ideas. So a great story from the book around onboarding is my interview with Daniel Lubetsky. And Daniel is the founder, was the CEO, and now is the executive chairman of kind bar. And when I asked that question to him, you know, when does he feel most kind-ish or when does he think his employees feel most kind-ish, what they said was that it was during onboarding. And once a quarter, Daniel himself, and he still does this many, many years later, meets with all of the new hires that have joined over the course of the quarter. They get together and it's not just for 20 minutes. This is for a couple of hours. He meets talks about the company, talks about the history of the company, which was inspired by his father, who was actually a Holocaust survivor, and this whole premise around the importance of being kind, you know, after what this, you know, after what he had been through. And so that, those are those moments that become, you know, the most, the most sticky um, from that perspective and make people feel connected to Daniel as the founder, to the company and, and to each other, all of the people that had started, um, you know, during that same quarter, they almost create this cohort. So it's really, really powerful. Yeah, no. And, and I love that story. And I love, uh, I love the fact that you chose Daniel there. Cause you know, a lot of my listeners, you know, maybe know him from kind bars, or, but 
Probably most folks who know him are going to know him from his uh, guest appearances on Shark Tank. And, you know, when you yeah. watch him on that show, like what, what you just said, I can I can almost hear him having that conversation because he he has that presence about him where you just feel like you want to be connected to him. You feel like you want to go buy kind products just because of who he is and what he says the company stands for. So I can only imagine how powerful that is for the people going to work for him. Uh, that That's an amazing story. I, I love that a lot. Yeah. I'd say one other one that I love is um, Motley Fool, uh, the financial services uh, information company based in D.C., and they said to me, it was also uh, an onboarding ritual. They do all, I mean, for people who read the book, I mean, Motley Fool really is um, a best practice in terms of assigning a buddy and getting to know people's likes before they come and having fun things on their desk or sending them home for gift cards if it's on Zoom. But the one thing that really jumped out is this coffee that new hires have with the founders. And it's such a it's such an ingrained part of the culture that when new people start, they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, did you have your did you have your coffee yet? Did you have your coffee yet? You know, with Tom and Dave, how was the coffee with Tom and Dave?" And so, if for some reason one of them didn't get scheduled, everybody knows I got to get this thing on the book. So that's how you know it's a ritual that it would seem crazy if it didn't happen, and if you and you would really really miss it if it was gone. And that's sort of one of the other litmus tests to know if it's something is a ritual. Yeah, no. Uh, so, I mean, again, this is this means a lot to me. And I know, again, I, I've got a lot of veterans, Army, Navy, the whole uh, gang that, that listen in here. And, and I know this means like this is like, OK, yeah, sure. Th- this is a no brainer, but it's really not for a lot of companies. Right. They, they kind of skip over that onboarding piece almost to their detriment. Right. Yeah, I mean, they just—they're not right. They're, they you need—they're—they're they're not intentional about it. Right. And I think more companies, because of the pandemic, realize that they have to. Because like b- before the pandemic, I remember talking to people that had terrible onboarding. For example, they would show up, they didn't know where to park their car. They would show up in a—you know—they—they they didn't even weren't really sure what to wear, and it, and it creates just this feel. It's like. Of, of you're uncomfortable and, and you, you're not starting off in a, in a confident way. But because of the pandemic, like what were you going to do? Have somebody just turn on their computer on the first day of work? I mean, so <laughs> many companies all, all of a sudden started thinking more like, wow, I guess we really do need to have something more formal. And so like, what's going to happen? I start work, you know, next on Monday, the 29th after Thanksgiving and who's going to be on the Zoom with me in the morning? Who am I going to have lunch with? So again, even if it's virtual. So I've been talking to, to companies lately, especially in hybrid situations or, or on Zoom, that you want to have a lot of things planned in advance and have a lot of people checking in because the last, especially in, the, in light of the great resignation, which is real, more real than I mean, it is it is real. <laughs> um, I cannot stress that enough that if your person's just floating around at home and doesn't feel connected to their boss, to their colleagues. And, you know, one one thing that listeners could think about is, you know, do you work for a company that has ERGs, employee resource groups? You know, and maybe that's an opportunity to, um, you know, to connect you know, them with other people within the company. So where there's a will, there's a way, but really, really important right now. Yeah. No, that's a good point on on the ERGs. Those employee resource groups are 
are invaluable and, and gives those, you know, kind of subgroups, if you will, uh, a, a great way to not feel like they're alone or other than. Um, I think one thing here that I, I kind of want to uh, impress and correct me if I'm wrong here, because maybe I am. Um, it's not a matter of if these rituals happen. It's a matter of how they happen. Right. And, and what you said, there's that word in intentional. Are you being intentional about kind of curating the process and making sure they're getting onboarded by the type of employee you want them to mimic? Or are they getting onboarded by, you know, the kind of the poor performer that's barely hanging on themselves? Either way, it's going to happen, right? Well, right. I mean, something's going to happen. I mean, somebody's going to show you how to turn on the, you know, the password for the computer and somebody's going to give you your login. So there's going to be something. I mean, so yes, you certainly want people doing it that are connected, that believe in some of the quote unquote softer stuff. You know, I would say, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that the soft stuff is really the hard stuff. And these days, the most important stuff, if you want to retain people. I would also say that a, that a very powerful way to onboard and is through your company's values. And it's a great way. This is totally cheesy, but you'll have to bear with me, um, which is, you know, rituals are a way for leaders to get the values off the walls and into the halls. It's yes. not enough these days to just say, here's our plaque and this is what we stand for as a company. It's saying, no, you know what? Collaboration is a ritual. And as part of onboarding, we're going to show you that. And this is what it looks like, that you're going to, you know, your first week, you're going to be involved in all of these conversations that are that are collaborative, that we're going to show you what it means to work here through these rituals and through our values. Mm. No, I love that. And, and uh, you know, listeners, I really, really hope you heard everything that Erica just said, because, you know, you're right. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've worked with organizations that go through that process and just hang those on the wall. And, you know, I, I broke it down for, for one group one time. I said, look, this is a contract with the employees. That this is how everyone in this organization is going to operate. It's not wall art. It's a contract. And uh, I, I love I love that you, you highlight that because it, it always just impresses me how much time and in some cases money is spent coming up with these core values just to make something look pretty on the wall. Uh, yeah, exactly. Got to make them mean something, right? 100%. Yeah. So uh, chapter two, I love this one uh, again because this is something – uh, and I've talked about it a little bit on this show. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard this story or not, but uh, I'll share it with you here. It's uh, the title of chapter two is March Through the Arch Rituals for Beginnings. And so this reminded me very much of um, boot camp and, and what we call in the Marines the Eagle Globe and Anchor Ceremony. And it was this, it was this very much symbolic milestone of, you made it. You made it through boot camp. You now are actually a Marine uh, because that's kind of the one thing that differentiates us from some of the other branches. Like when you go into Army, you're already a soldier. You have a rank. You go in the Air Force, you're already an airman. You have a rank. When you go into Marines, you're a recruit. Don't even think about using the title Marine. You haven't earned that yet. Uh, but this is where you do. And, and there's this process that goes through. They got Lee Greenwood, God bless the USA, Blair, and, and your drill instructors are the ones that come through and give you your first, the Marine Corps emblem, the Eagle Globe and Anchor. And it's just this, it, 
I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. I don't know how big, mean, tough you are. If you sit through that ceremony and watch what goes on and don't get a little misty, something's wrong because of that power of the moment. And you see these folks who were just yelling and screaming at you for the last 13 weeks are now your, your, they still outrank you, but they're now your peers. They're now your brothers. You're now one of them. And that's really what this, this chapter talks about is, is letting people know that they are one of you, right? Yeah. I mean, I love, look, I'm, I'm biased since I wrote the book, but that is one of my favorite goosebump moments in the book. And it was funny. I, I was sharing the story, this exact story yesterday with somebody and on a walk and she was like, oh my gosh, like I have goosebumps. So uh, the short version of the story is, um, and actually, you know what? There's an ending to it that's not in the book that I'm going to share with you right now. So you don't even know this part. But oh, I love it. This, the story is I interviewed Morty Shapiro, who's the president of Northwestern University. And Morty before he was at Northwestern, was at Williams College. And Williams College been around for hundreds of years, like many of these East Coast institutions, you know, like the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, right? Steeped, steeped, steeped in traditions and rituals. So Morty shows up and he says, okay, everybody, you know, what are the rituals? And they literally looked at him like the poor guy had two heads. <laughs> and he's, he's like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, we kind of have this, we kind of have that. And... Um, He's like, well, okay, we gotta, we gotta create some rituals. And so there's an arch on the campus. And Morty said, well, okay, let's have all the students march, you know, walk, walk through this arch on their first day of the, the beginning of their four year journey at Northwestern. Everybody's like, great, sounds good. He, um, so the first year they decided to call it March Through the Arch, very uh, catchy name. And the first year, Everybody walked through, or he told everybody to walk through, and they had about 50 kids who actually did out of the 2,000 undergrads. And it's funny, Morty said he forgot to um, tell the local police um, that in Evanston, Illinois, that they were doing it. So the cars were going, and the kids were, it was like a lawsuit waiting to happen. The kids were like running in and out of the cars. The next year, 300 kids showed up. The following year, the third year, all 2,000 kids were marching through the arch, and it has become a not-to-be-missed event. And literally, the friend of mine that I was with yesterday, whose son is a freshman, he said, you know, everybody told me about the March of the Arch, and one of my friends said, even though it's a couple days after the kids get there, she's like, all the parents, if they can, stay um, to take pictures because when they come through the arch, the parents are told, you know, at 1022, you know, your kid is in group 66 and he's going to be walking through the arch. So it is a huge thing. Fast forward, um, Morty decided that he wanted to see if he could bookend this ritual by having the kids walk back out through the arch at the end of their four years. And that, that's been more recent. It's not as big of a deal as the first um, time, but, it's, but it is growing in, um, in interest. But during the pandemic, this is the part that, that is not in the book, in June of 2020, there was, you know, Northwestern's high school gradu or college graduation was canceled, like all the other graduations around the country were canceled, very hard on everybody. And, you know, talk about a ritual. And um, I was on, I was on um, Instagram and I came across, I follow Northwestern on the Instagram, and I came across a photo that this guy had posted 
and he is the brother of a girl who had graduated or was graduating in June of 2020. He happened to be a woodworker. And so literally he built with his hands a 21 foot replica of the arch. So she and her friends in the middle of the pandemic could walk through it. And like, how do you know it's a ritual? Not only do you miss it like crazy if it's gone, but it's the length that somebody will go to maintain it. So it blew me away. I'll send you a picture so you have a copy of it and you can see what it looks like. It was crazy. Yeah. No, I I love that. I mean, and because, you know, as you were talking about that and and, and adding, that is just amazing. And it's those, you know, there's so many of those out there that, that people who have never even been a part of the team know about these rituals. And, and and that's like you said that that's how you know it's a ritual is when people who aren't even there know that it's a ritual, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. I love it. No, that that is great. So um, I'm curious what what year did they start the walk back through? Was that just? I know you said recently. Was that just like yeah? The it was last still year? a couple of years. Yeah, I mean he's been there for twelve years. So the the march the the beginning part started about eleven years ago, and so it was a few years after um, the 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 want the the march through the arch really took off that he began to to integrate the back out through the arch. Yeah, no that that is great. I love that. I, I really love that that story. The whole story. Um, yeah. So. But why? I guess my question to you from a psychological standpoint, uh, for the students, uh, you know, even for the parents, even for the friends, like, why? Why is that such a psychological tie in to the organization? So rituals, this is what rituals give us. You know, I, I wanted to create in the book, I wanted to share the science and I wanted to share the stories of why rituals work for us as people and for our teams and organizations. So I came up with an equation that I call the three P's of rituals. This is what rituals give us. The first P is that rituals give us a sense of psychological safety, a feeling of belonging. And just think about that Northwestern example. You know, as people are walking through that arch, you feel part of that community, you know, from day one. And and that's why, that's part of the magic. The second P is that rituals give us an opportunity to connect to purpose. You know, we talked a little bit about that with the getting the values off the walls. When you add those two together, you get a boost in performance, which is the third P. So when we think about performance individually, when we feel connected to others and even feel that boost of connection with ourselves, our oxytocin, which is that feel-good hormone, goes up and our stress our cortisol goes down. So there is a physiological response, you know, in in our bodies, number one. Number two, um, from, a, from a team or company perspective, it's a lot of studies. One that I'll highlight here is that when, when people at work feel that they can um, bring their whole self to work, be them, be real, their collaboration goes up by up to 47% and productivity goes up by 50%. So the numbers are real and you know, it makes sense when you trust people, when you feel connected, you're going to go above and beyond um, for the people on your team. And I'm sure you saw that as part of the military as well. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and it's, 
And I think that's the thing, right, is is these are, as you just mentioned, you know, uh, with the March to the Arch, these aren't things that, that cost an organization a lot of money, not even necessarily a lot of time, and they have probably some of the highest return on investment by just doing them, right? Well, exactly. I mean, there is no cost to having people walk through an arch. You know, right. there's no cost other than maybe some kind bars and some coffee to meet with the founder, you know, to meet with Daniel Lubetsky. Um, and so it goes back to what you said and, and I talk about in the book, which is about intention. And that's, that's why it's such a, it's a tool in your tool belt as a leader that you can use when it makes sense for you. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. So I'm going to skip ahead a few chapters here and, and go to chapter five. Rituals for taking professional development personally. Spotlight on LinkedIn's end day. Um, why, why is it important to have a ritual for uh, professional development? So professional development is really important as, as a vehicle for retention. You know, when you look at the data, why people leave companies well, first and foremost, nine out of 10 people leave because of their boss. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that could be a whole separate topic for a podcast <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of leadership training. But one of the other big reasons why they leave is they, do, they don't feel like there's growth and development. And people want to grow on the job up, down, and sideways. You know, gone are the days of, you know, I've been doing this human capital work for 25 years. So, you know, gone are the days of IBM or General Motors, where there's a million rungs in the ladder. And every year you get a little bump in pay and you get a new title and, you know, and all is hunky-dory. You know, those days are gone. Organizations are much flatter. So we need to be creative about how we develop people. And one of the things that I have found is that, yes, you can have somebody go to a conference or you know, trickier during COVID, but, you know, you can do some things outside of the workday. But if you really value this, I mean, if, if you as, a, as an organization really think that this is important, build it into the construct of your day. You know, don't make it something that you have to do after work. Um, and so what I loved about Inday and about some of the other companies that I profile in this chapter is that they value professional development and they build it in to the, to the, to the way that work gets done. So LinkedIn has something called in-day, which is one day a month where everybody stops what they're doing and and invests in their in themselves. And that's what in-day stands for, investment. One of the coolest parts of this story was that it was started by the CFO, right? So p- presumably the person who is worried the most about the bottom line and about the ROI that here was someone who really understood that, you know, that, that these kinds of things lead to engagement and lead to people feeling connected and, and growing on the job. And so I loved it. So there's all different themes. And the coolest thing, I mean, I could, you know, it's a whole chapter in the book. So clearly I am very passionate about it. But it's not something that's that's mandated. So if you have a meeting or if you're doing something and it doesn't work for you that month, nobody is going to, you know, you're not in trouble, but it's there if you want to take advantage of it. And what's also cool is that you can, you can, you can take advantage of that theme of in-day in whatever way works for you personally. So 
when it was in the office, I got to visit them. It was Wellness In Day. There was a wellness fair. There was a meditation clinic. There was a dance class. There were all different things. And I happened to run into um, a woman that I know who had just started at LinkedIn from a different company. And she was in her exercise clothes. And I said, oh, you know, how's it going at LinkedIn? She's like, this is my first in day. Really happy. She goes, but I feel like because I you know, just started this new job and it's been so busy, I really love to run and I haven't been able to. So she decided as a way to have experience her wellness in day, she jogged to the office, got her run in, you know, checked, checked in, saw what was going on, went to the wellness fair, did a few things and then jogged home. And that was her way of, of bringing that important value to life. I love it. And I really do love that you, you pointed out the CFO piece there. Cause I could, I could just hear people say, Oh yeah, well that sounds great. A company like LinkedIn, they can just shut down for a day and, and not be productive. But in my organization, you know, I, I, I lose a day of productivity and it takes me forever to get that back. And, you know, that may be true for some positions in some industries, but as, as you pointed out, the, the, the upside of this, the productivity gain you're going to overcome that, quote, lost day of productivity pretty doggone quick, right? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I would venture to say that it's like that is you are getting work done. Like right. you are being productive. And and I guess a study that I'll share that, that highlights this, it's in one of the other chapters, but it's all very, um, you know, related and relevant is, is one of my favorite studies that came out of um, Cornell University, it was done by a guy named Kevin Niffen, who was studying team performance and what makes one team higher performing than another. And his dad was a firefighter. And so he studied firefighters and firehouses. And he found the short version of this is that the firefighters who were the most dedicated to the ritual of the, fi- of the firehouse meal of sitting around the table, you know, bringing their whole selves, shooting the breeze, it actually correlated with higher levels of performance and those firefighters saved more lives. I'm sure there's a lot of examples that you could talk to in the Marines, right? The more that you knew people and really knew about them personally, you know, you're out in the field, you know, fighting an enemy, you you know each other and you can predict things. And I, I heard, oh my gosh, so many cool stories from the firefighters. And so it's, it's, you know, at LinkedIn, I mean, they're not f- fighting fires and saving lives in the same way. But if you're at work and you're in your exercise clothes or you're at a meditation class or in a dance class, you're just getting to know people as people. And so fast forward a week later, you're in a really stressful project with a client. And maybe during the dance class, like someone shared with you that there was something going on you know, that your kid was sick or your parent or something, you just have a sense of what's going on with people in other aspects of your lives that gives you, it gives you more empathy that when you're dealing with stressful, stressful workplace situations. Yeah. No, again, you, you are dead on. I mean, that was one of the things in the military and, and, you know, uh, Simon Sinek made a, uh, a killing selling copies of his book, uh, Leaders Eat Last, kind of talking about that and, and the importance of, of eating uh, in Marine Corps leadership. And, you know, we have a thing for the officers. I was enlisted, but, you know, our officers, you know, always made sure that the enlisted folks ate first uh, because, you know, nine times out of 10, they were the ones doing the heavy lifting, doing most of the, the quote unquote grunt work. 
and they wanted to show that they were there to take care of them and not take advantage of their rank, their title, their position. And so you, as a leader, an officer, you made sure that you ate last. Everybody else was taken care of. But, you know, the other side of that is, is even with going through that, it was the folks that would take the rank off, if you will, and sit down at the table and be one of us, uh, no matter, you know, those were the leaders that, that we would quite literally run through brick walls for. Um, and, and, and so a hundred percent. And I think that is, is the big thing there too, is it's all fine and, and dandy to just sign off that these things happen, but you as the leader kind of need to participate in the rituals too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to walking, walking the walk. Um, and, you know, during the pandemic when leaders, you know, there's always this feeling, oh, the leader has it all figured out. You know, he or she doesn't have the same stress as I do. But the companies that had the highest engagement during the pandemic were leaders who would share that, you know, that somebody in their family wasn't sick or they were so, you know, upset that, you know, their kid didn't get to graduate or whatever it was. It was, it was just this process of, of humanizing them. Yeah. No, I'll share a quick story here. Um, again, it, it happened in boot camp. Uh, when I was in, Commandant uh, Krulak uh, was was a commandant of the Marine Corps, and he kind of fostered this thing called the Crucible. And my platoon was, I want to say we were like maybe the fourth, fifth, sixth platoon to go through it. And um, he happened to be on base just to kind of monitor and, and see there was another platoon going through it at the time. We were on what they call our, our team week, and that was kind of like a transition period. Like you, you're not you're t- towards the tail end of boot camp, not re- really ready to graduate, but you're getting pretty close. And and you do stuff like clean up around the base, or you work at the chow hall, you do things like that, right? Well, talk about weird rituals that nobody knows where they came from. Is there's this thing in the Marines? Marines don't stand with their hands in their pocket, like. You'll see it. If, if one Marine sees another Marine standing with their hands in their pocket, they're going to, hey, devil dog, you don't stand with your hands in your pocket. And that was even beat into us as recruits. Well, this uh, guy in, in one of my sister platoons, he was out working team week, and he sees a Marine standing with his hands in his pocket, and, and he's facing away from this guy. And he goes up to him, and, and he's still a recruit at the time, so you got to call everybody sir. And uh, he says, uh you know, sir, Marines are not supposed to stand with their hands in their pocket. And this individual turns around and it was Commandant Krulak. So here's this recruit who is like the lowest of the low on the totem pole telling the Commandant, who is the highest of the high on the totem pole, hey, you're not living up to one of our rituals. We don't stand with our hands in our pocket. And instead of like taking this tone of, of you know, I'm the Commandant, you're a recruit and talking down to him. He turns around, he looks at him and says, you're right. And he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out a a Commandant's Challenge coin and gives to him and tells him to go on his merry way. And to to this day, that story just is one of those that that still sticks with me because he could have just trashed this kid. But the fact that he felt so deeply connected to it in that moment in time to not try to use his rank as a four-star general. And he confirmed it with this kid. Like it, it still sticks with him to this day. Like he still has the challenge coin and that was 24, 25 years ago now. Right. And that's well, that and power. That, that's the you, power. Exactly. I was just going to say, I mean, that's the power of rituals. It just is. Yeah. 
No, that's like I said, I, I love this book. I'm glad you wrote this book. And, and I really hope people uh, people really, really get a copy and, and learn and, and live this stuff because it's great. It's really great. Um, there's one more I want to talk about before we get out of here. And this is another place where I see a lot of folks really struggle uh, in leadership positions. This is chapter seven. We see you rituals for recognizing and rewarding. Now I kind of talked about a little bit with that story, but, but for you and and, and what you do, why is reward and recognition such an important piece uh, of the ritual process? So, you know, ritual, I mean, when you think about celebration and, and recognition, I mean, it, it is human nature, right? That people people like to be recognized. And the way that the book is structured, you know, is around this, is around the employee experience. So I didn't know in the beginning that I was going to have so many examples in this chapter on recognition and celebration. The way that I got to that was when I spoke to leaders and said to them, you know, when do you feel most LinkedIn-ish, Chipotle-ish, you know, fill in the blank company, so many of them said that that's when they feel most connected to their team, to their leader or to their company was during those those moments and those celebrations. So what I think about and, you know, for those listening who are leaders, like this is just a big opportunity um, to build rituals into it could be into your to your weekly meeting or something monthly or something annually. So I just think it's a it's there's a lot of low hanging fruit that if you're coming together to talk about, you know, the end of the year, you know, here we are, it's, you know, almost the end of 2021. You know, what are some things that that you can do to celebrate and recognize people and what they've done? And it's also a great opportunity to connect it to the com- again to the company values. So what some people do, I actually just spoke at an event last week and they gave out awards and they had one award given to each person who had lived one of the five values. So it, it really that chapter and and thinking about rituals and recognition really is a very easy way to connect to to the rituals to keep them alive. Yeah. No, I, I like that. I mean, because, you know, and again, it doesn't take a lot of a lot of time, a lot of effort and a lot of money. I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, one of the things a lot of a lot of groups kind of feel is like, oh, I, I do this through the bonus. I do this through that. But, you know, like you mentioned, I, I don't know all the details of that group, um, but, you know, it was probably some type of certificate maybe they had a plaque that cost them 20 30 dollars i don't know how much it costs i'm just throwing numbers out there but it was just that that it's it's more the gesture and the recognition piece than the physical reward itself right oh my gosh why well, I, I one of the examples in the book i had interviewed the ceo former ceo now of do something.org and they give a stuffed penguin <laughs> like a little stuffed penguin and that it was because, you know, one of the, it actually was the, um, happened to be also the CFO, but that the, the stuffed penguin just was just on his desk and he gave it to somebody and that it became a ritual. The CFO is not there anymore, um, but the ritual stuck, you know, and then it kind of out, it outlived him. So that's exactly, uh, you know, probably cost five ninety nine. 
<laughs> I love it. I don't know. Um, as you were telling that story, it reminded me of, uh, of another one at a place I've worked. Um, and, and you probably remember there was, cause it was a fairly famous video in the, I want to say mid to late nineties, early two thousands. You remember the, the video fish, uh, about the Pike street fish market. I don't think I do. Oh, it, it's an inter- It's still a good video to this day because, you know, they were, they were talking to the folks at the Pike Street Fish Market in Seattle. And, you know, all they do is they work with fish all day. They're gutting fish. It's a nasty, smelly, stinky job. Um, but, you know, they're famous for those who've not heard of it. And you should go check it out because it's awesome. You know, they're famous for, for tossing the fish. And, you know, they have a guy working behind the counter and someone came up and say, hey, you know, I want, uh, you know, four pounds of halibut or whatever. And then the guy behind the counter, he'll pull out the halibut and he, they, they all have some kind of saying that they, they say when they throw the fish and then they chuck it, you know, sometimes across a crowd and a guy catches it and wraps it. And, but the whole point of it is, is, you know, how can you work in a profession that is so dirty and smelly and stinky and all these things and still have such an upbeat attitude? And it was, it was that it was, it was recognizing each other, having fun where I'm coming back to the penguin thing. Each one of them came uh, with a rainbow-colored fish, <laughs> and uh, that was kind of one of our rituals that we had at the office. Like we we had that fish. It was like a little. It was almost like a beanie baby kind of thing. It had like little bean bags in it. And whenever somebody you know was in a really bad mood or whatever, we'd haul off and we'd chuck the fish at them and be like, "Hey, you know, relax. We're gonna have fun today." <laughs> you know, and the fish throw of the fish became our our kind of recognition. Uh, ritual if you will that hey i see that you're having a bad day but we're going to get through this together guy uh and it was that easy it was really that easy wow it's amazing i love it i love it well eric look i have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation i hope you've had fun with it as well um before we close out here uh we're coming up on about 45 minutes ish or so uh, before we close out here, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to discuss that you want to leave listeners with? Um, let me see. I love that question. Um, I, th- I mean, gosh, this was so thorough. We we really hit so much. You know, I think, again, it, when we think about rituals for you and your own lives and, and for your teams, it really goes back to that magic question you know, what do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you? And, and when do people on your team feel most connected? And, and that's really a great place to start. Mm, I love it. I love it. Um, so if folks want to find out more about you, uh, your books, uh, services that you provide, what's a good place for folks to, to find out uh, more about Erica Keswin? You can find me on my website, which is just ericakeswin.com. And um, both links to both books are there. My, you can follow me on Instagram. It's just my name. I always try to get more followers than my three teenage kids combined. So you can help me with that. And in terms of my work, I do keynotes. I do a lot of fireside chats. I, um, you know, come in and, and do workshops with leaders on, you know, how to take some of these concepts and bring them to life. Love it. I love it. Well, Erica, again, thank you very much for being with me and my listeners today and, and having having this uh, great conversation. Uh, I really appreciate having you as a guest. Well, I loved it, and it was really great to meet you. Hopefully, you said you've never been to New York City, so you'll have to come so we can have a coffee. Oh, absolutely. I love it. That, that's a plan. We'll see if we can make that happen.
Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? This is Lawrence Ross, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Lawrence Ross Show. Egomaniac. It's a two-hour weekly exploration into my mind. I also do sketches, celebrity impersonations. You're out of order! And I also do song parodies. Not too shabby for a blind guy. Not only are you visually impaired, but you are geographically impaired. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out on your favorite podcasting platform or listen to it here on Society 13 on Electricast. Electricast.